No sound bites or intros for this episode. It's uh, slightly different from our usual long-form discussion. So when Cliff and I sat down, we had a number of questions that were sent in via Twitter. And typically, Cliff and I didn't leave enough time to get round to answering those questions. So what I've done is send them through to Cliff, and Cliff has kindly taken some time out to answer the questions. So the first one comes from Paul Jones, who asks... There's a lot of chatter at present about constraints and affordances, often explained with technical jargon. Can you simplify the key points, Cliff, and the relevance or otherwise for session design? Paul, um, thanks for your question relating to constraints, lead coaching and affordances. Um, and, and you make a point about the, the technical jargon. You're right. I mean, the, the theory that underpins many of these approaches can be quite complex so, so I don't think I'll be really doing it justice trying to explain it in, in sort of very brief answer to, to your question um, in addition to that there's lots and lots of stuff out there um, particularly academic literature and and I have some, some slides and stuff which I, I would be happy to share with you around the concept of constraints-led coaching. But what I would say to you, Paul, is I think there's sometimes a danger that we we gravitate to one particular coaching approach or something that we've, we've read and believe that that is the answer. If anybody suggests to you that one particular approach, for example, constraints-led, is the answer, to developing better plays and improving plays and, and getting a winning team and all this sort of thing, I would, I would sort of take that with with a large pinch of salt and, and potentially even walk the other way. They can all potentially, all the theories and all the ideas and all the research can all make a contribution to the development of coaches and coaching. But uh, I would certainly advise you to look at, at all the evidence, look at all the literature and draw your own conclusions and work in a in an area where you feel most comfortable. And if, if certain aspects that you've read don't make sense to you, you don't understand it, or you might even disagree with it, then don't go down that path. Um, you know, apply your own rational judgment to what you think is, is most appropriate um, for, for the group that you're working with and that's not to say you know you're not going to listen or read stuff by people more experienced than you or, or active researchers absolutely but at the end of the day you, you have to make judgments about what you think is most appropriate Martin Seedall asks Cliff if you could change one thing about grassroots football what would it be and why Hi Martin, um, thanks again for your question. Uh, your question relates to what is one thing about grassroots football uh, that I would change? Again, this, this is a really challenging question and, and not easy to answer. Uh, I shouldn't really expect easy, easy questions, should I? But um, I'm not sure if I can answer it, but what I can tell you is, is one or two aspects which do bother me about grassroots football. And one of the things that, that seems to me is that 
the systems around grassroots football, all well-intentioned, for example, all those coaches with level ones, CRB checks, DBFs, um, the clubs now are growing, um, the amount of facilities, the range of facilities, pitches, goals, the, the whole the whole thing. I mean, some clubs even use analysts, amateur club, to record matches and and provide detailed feedback to the players, so on and so forth. I attend reg on regular intervals. I'm, I'm sure you're aware. Uh, sports dinners to raise money, sometimes you know, significant amount of money to support grassroots kids football and it seems so sophisticated and so commodified and so highly structured that it, it I do wonder is where is the space for kids just to play football and that's it because I do look around at these this huge infrastructure swirling around children playing that, that's what it is in effect and I hope we don't get to a point where we start believing our own press and think that kids can only play with adults organizing planning structuring delivering activities in on their behalf so where's the space for the kids just to pitch up, just to put the goalpost down, to negotiate teams, to agree, to disagree, to argue, to negotiate goals, um, whether it was in, whether it was out, uh, when they're going to start playing, when they're going to start finishing to play. Where, where is that space? Because that, that space seems to me at times to get smaller and smaller. So, so it's either you go to school as a young person, and then you come home, you have your tea, you do your, do your homework, and then you go out, and then you are ordered around again, playing football under often the coach's direction, using their parameters and their views about how you should play. And it's all well-intentioned, I get that, and I get there's many, many advances that kids now have opportunities to develop and improve their, their playing but it, I do worry at, at what cost. Um, and I say I, I haven't got the answer. I'm, I'm not, you know, I can't. Unfortunately, I can't answer your questions. But I, I do think about these things. I wouldn't say it keeps me up at night, but I, I do sometimes look at grassroots football and say, "Wow, this is unbelievable!" You know, really highly sophisticated, brilliant. But what, what have we lost in in this process? to sort of over sophisticated and in effect commodify the sport so yeah that, that bothers me a, a, a little bit I don't know where that will eventually take us anyway hope that wasn't too much of a jumbled answer um, thanks again Martin for your, for your question Pete Thornton asks Cliff how does the coaching in grassroots compare now with the coaching 10 years ago and if you had to deliver one session to a grassroots under sevens team, what would it be? Uh, hi, Pete. Thanks for your question. Uh, your question revolves around how does the coaching in grassroots football compare now with 10 years ago? 
and uh, and the second question you ask is about uh, what type of session would I run and you know uh, uh, one session if you like for an under sevens team I'll, I'll, again I'll try and answer both questions relatively succinctly and clearly I hope um, certainly when I look back at coaching 10 years ago it, it's moved on significantly um, and, it, and, it, and it's moved on significantly I know it's moved on significantly because I would not be involved if it hadn't because I, when I look back 10, 11, 12 years ago some of the practices that are that I saw being delivered even by you know coach education courses um, were 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 not what I would call effective coach education. Um, they looked a little bit like to to me um, highly prescriptive, um, very heuristic, as in just delivered from the coach educator's perspective. Um, with with actually very little evidence and rationale behind why deliver courses the way it was suggested to deliver courses and obviously come from an academic background uh, the area that underpins my approach to teaching learning virtually anything well what's the evidence what 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 makes me do what i do so so coming into that sort of coaching environment where it was highly prescriptive very heuristic, I found difficult to cope with. But so over the last ten years, I think the football association has employed some some fabulous people. They've engaged beyond their own walls, if you like, uh, across different sports and with with uh, researchers from universities and and other countries as well. You know, looked at other people who deliver sport and, and football particularly see what we can learn which, which I think has been refreshing so, so that's really really good um, and I also think now I think there's an acceptance by nearly all coaches no matter what their level of coaching is that coaching is not an extension of playing anymore um, you know what it was like in the past Pete it was some willing enthusiastic volunteer still is to to a large degree who had played the game you know sometimes to a to a decent level or maybe not even a decent level but was a was an armchair pundit of football and they would draw on their playing experience mainly to deliver coaching sessions to kids i think now uh, the way coach education has evolved and the people that that are involved, I think there's a recognition that yes, of course, you know we can draw on our playing experience, but coaching is fundamentally different from playing, and the way we deliver coaching is fundamentally different from ten years ago, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. Uh, so, so that that's been a. a, a sort of a, an evolution rather than revolution necessarily but but it's been a welcome evolution and uh, and people are now taking the role of coaching far more seriously and, and recognize the skills and qualities that you need to have in order to do that uh, your second question which relates to uh, if i had to deliver one session to a, to a grassroots under seven team what would it be um, I'm not trying to duck this question, but I think in many ways, Pete, this, this goes to the heart of much of the research that I'm doing. 
because I would have to say it depends. It depends on the under seven group. Um, there's a real danger that we see an under seven group of having exactly the same uh, qualities, characteristics, deficiencies, issues across all under sevens groups. And without knowing their past experience of playing, their ability levels of playing, the differentiation within the group, what facilities are had, um, what they enjoy doing, what their motivations are, that would be nearly an impossible question to ask uh, to answer. So I'm reluctant to say this is the session I would, I would deliver on the basis that that would be seen as a, a one-size-fits-all session to all under-7s coaches who are listening to this podcast. And I would simply say it depends. It depends on the group because not all under-7s groups are the same. Um, we like to think they might be the same because chronologically they're all the same year group. But even within the same age group, you know, they're all completely different. Um, so, so that's the way I would answer that question. Um, it's, it depends. Ian Dipper asks, Cliff, what is the art of sports coaching? Where does learning to ask questions as the facilitator rank in the development of the coach? And what will coaching look like in 10 years' time? Hi Ian, uh, many thanks for your question. Um, you, you've asked three questions in effect. I'll, I'll try and answer them as, as briefly and succinctly as, as I possibly can. Your first question relates to what is the art of sports coaching? Um, the thing that struck me about this question immediately was that you used the word art. Um, many programs, and certainly in higher education, the sector that I work in, refer to coaching programs as sports science coaching and often in sort of discourse around sports coaching people refer to the science of coaching so it's quite interesting that you use the word art and i presume the way you interpret it the same as is me really that as art sports coaching is often an interpretation of what you see um, and of course what we see and how we interpret what we see are through our own personal lenses which has been built up over um, past experiences, your, your coaching qualifications, your academic qualifications, uh, potentially your playing experience. Um, so, so that's the way I would, I would sort of uh, interpret what you were getting out there. Um, I'm also quite intrigued that you you mentioned in second question where does learning to ask questions as a facilitator rank in the development of the coach. I'd say it's key, um, but not only in terms of what the role of the facilitator is, I think effective coaches and coaches who are progressing and developing all the time ask themselves through that reflective journey questions all the time. Why have I done what I've done? What makes me think what I've done will work? Are there alternatives to what I could have done? What are the outcomes? Is there only one outcome, or is there a variance of outcomes? Um, so, so I think I think questioning. It's a bit like going to a to a gym, you know, you you or a brain gym, I should say. That questioning allows you 
to exercise your mind and consider a whole range of, of factors and outcomes that could influence the effectiveness of your coaching session. So I would say it's a, a critical skill, um, whether it's the most important thing, that, that might be open debate, but, but certainly is a critical skill. Otherwise, all we'll end up getting are coaches who cut and paste, replicate practice without really fully understanding what the practice is, is trying to affect um, and, and why that practice might work the way it does. So, so I think, I think that is, that's the way I, I would look at the role of questioning. And finally, what will coaching look like in 10 years? I know what, what I would like to think it will look like, whether it will look like this, I don't know. And, and in 10 years' time, I would like to think that coaching courses will in fact encourage candidates from level one all the way up to the sort of level threes, fours and beyond to take a more critical approach about what coaching is and a more critical approach of, of themselves and others around them, not just to accept that because uh, a really experienced coach is doing it, it must be right for my group. Um, so that's what I'd like to see. So coaches are empowered to make decisions based on clear, rational, evidence-based thinking to deliver effective coaching session. That's what I would like to think and hope coaching might look like in, in 10 years. And I hope that goes some way to uh, answering your, your questions. Here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please help spread the word or leave us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can reach me on Twitter at JackWalton1. And don't forget to follow Liverpool FA at Liverpool underscore CFA. See you next time.